listening to the Tashi Station Book Club, the bright center in the universe for science fiction and fantasy literature discussion. I'm your host, Nancy, and joining me this month is Danny to discuss The Long Way to a Small Angry Planet by Becky Chambers. Welcome to the show, Danny. Thanks for having me. I'm real excited to discuss one of my favorite books in recent history. Yay! Um, So this is your first time on the book club. Thank you for joining us. Mm Mm-hmm. And, uh... So if those of you are not familiar with Danny, you should be, but uh, Danny, could you introduce yourself for our audience? You should be because I'm the greatest because (laughs) I am on a podcast and as you know, all podcasters are great and the podcast I'm on is called Rogue Podrin. You've probably never heard of it. Nope. But it's, it's a podcast. And oh, it's a book club. That's funny. I clearly have a <laughs> have a niche, have a, a niche. niche here. It's a book club. We're reading the X-wing books, uh, which are a Star Wars book series from the Legends universe. They don't count anymore. So they count in our hearts. That's what I meant. <laughs> uh, so yes, thank you for joining us. I saw that you uh, really enjoyed this book, so I grabbed you to come on you were recruited yeah i think based on what i've read from you so far i think that we're going to represent two of the most common reactions to this book so i think (laughs) that's good i mean yeah that i I like when i have i mean it i don't i can't say i can't even say i have a different opinion because i like it but you know anyway Uh, as always on the book club, we will start with a plot description. This one comes from Amazon. I, I like to go and look at different plot descriptions on different websites and pick the ones that I like the best. <laughs> so, Empire Amazon won out this month, huh? Yep, Amazon won this month. Uh, so here we go. Follow a motley crew on an exciting journey through space and one adventurous young explorer who discovers the meaning of family in the far reaches of the universe in this lighthearted debut space opera from a rising sci-fi star. Rosemary Harper doesn't expect much when she joins the crew of the aging Wayfarer. While the patched-up ship has seen better days, it offers her a bed, a chance to explore the far-off corners of the galaxy, and most importantly, some distance from her past. An introspective young woman who learned early to keep to herself, she's never met anyone remotely like the ship's diverse crew, including Sissix, the exotic reptilian pilot, chatty engineers Kizzy and Jenks, who keep the ship running, and Ashby, their noble captain. Life aboard the Wayfarer is chaotic and crazy, exactly what Rosemary wants. It's also about to get extremely dangerous when the crew is offered the job of a lifetime. Tunneling wormholes through space to a distant planet is definitely lucrative and will keep them comfortable for years. But risking her life wasn't part of the plan. In the far reaches of deep deep space, the tiny Wayfarer crew will confront a host of unexpected mishaps and thrilling adventures that force them to depend on each other. To survive, Rosemary's got to learn how to rely on this assortment of oddballs, an experience that teaches her about love and trust and that having a family isn't necessarily the worst thing in the universe oh that sounds nice it does <laughs> I, they, I feel like they're really doubling down on the found family theme of this book yep. <laughs> it's nice there's love it's diverse yeah pretty much so uh initial impressions uh danny you can go first since you already said your 
initial impression earlier. Yeah. So I wanted to part of the reason maybe why this book stood out to me is just because of the way that I found it. I, you, you know, I, I'm on Goodreads. I've got like a hundred thousand books on my to read mm-hmm. list a mile long. And I'm always just like planning the next, I mean, I, I think you're probably the same way planning like the next 10, 12 books that I'm going to read in my brain and then like constantly reshuffling the order just cause, but anyway, um, so this was, uh, last, last August, I just happened to go into a Barnes and Noble and it, um, I just happened to have had a very contentious conversation with a uh, relative right before I went to the Barnes and Noble. So I wasn't in a great headspace and I was just browsing and I just saw this book. I'd never heard of it, didn't know anything about it. And I read the back and it was probably very similar to what you just read. So like I had all those ideas in my brain. I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to buy this book and read it. And I did exactly that, which I just don't do these days. So mm-hmm. just the simple fact that it was like, it was, it, it felt like, I don't know, the olden days before, <laughs> before I had a million books that I wanted to read when I would just, you know, you know, you just go in and find a book and read it. And, and, um, so, so I think the experience was part of, uh, why it stuck with me so much. Cool. Um, yeah, so I saw this book talked about just like online and on Twitter and just in various circles. And, um, I kept seeing comparisons to Firefly, which we'll discuss later. Um, but, I had um so I'm like oh that you know that seems interesting and then um it was a Kindle sale <laughs> which is how I get most of my books yeah uh and I was like oh I'll buy this and I mean honestly I buy a lot of books on Kindle sales and usually I and don't end up ever reading them but I mean I can't it, it's like crack it's a dollar 99 for a book so I buy it. Yeah. But um so this one I I bought and then I as I was, you know, figuring out the book club schedule for this year I'm like, oh this this would be a good one to do. So um put it on and I enjoyed it. Um the uh the the way this book came about is really interesting. Um it's in the uh, back of the book, the author like describes how she did a Kickstarter and like how she basically, you know, lost her, you know, income and needed to either like quit writing and work full time somewhere or she just she did a Kickstarter to raise money for the book. Um, so. As I was reading it, I, I was you know, I was reading it and, and enjoying it, but I was also reading it from a writerly perspective. Um, and I was thinking to myself, I don't know if this book would have gotten an agent or a publisher traditionally because it goes against a lot of the wisdom of, um, like, I mean, not it, it's what it, what the big name yes. publishers are looking for and yes. what's like trendy in the market. I think it definitely yeah is is uh, different from what what we're seeing. Right. It's very it's it's there's not a lot of plot, basically. Yes. <laughs> like as I'm reading this, I'm like, nothing has happened in this book. I mean, like stuff has happened, but it's like, OK, uh, when do they actually get the the mission that kicks them forward on the plot like usually that would happen in like the first chapter or the second chapter but Mm -hmm. it's not saying it's not it's not bad um it's just different and i think that's probably why people liked it so much because it was different um 
So yeah, I think it's it's interesting to think about the I mean the future of the publishing industry from the perspective of this book and just like it you know publishers sometimes they you know what's that balance between like finding that new voice or that new way to tell a story and like taking that risk versus going with what's safe and traditional yeah and like what role is kickstarter because so many things are kickstarter these days just in the world um people are finding their funding from projects like that and and how many great novels or new voices are we going to find in the world from um those kickstarter campaigns because the authors are finding it's easier to just go that route than to find a publisher to publish their non-traditional work. Yeah. Um, as someone who is, who's been trying for a while, I can, I can sympathize with that. Right. It's hard. <laughs> uh, yeah. but, um, I, I think also something interesting to think about is, um, we're kind of the first generation to like come of age with fan fiction being as prevalent as it is. Yeah. And like fan fiction has always been around like you know people were trading zines you know and mailing them to each other or like then you know it turned to email but now you know with the proliferation of uh fanfiction.net and now AO3 and just Tumblr and all of that like people grow up reading fan fiction and writing fan fiction of the stories that they like a little um, more prolific now than the days of Canterbury Tales fan fiction is what you're saying. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but I mean, even like when I was a teenager, you know, like fan fiction was a thing, but it was like, you know, people didn't talk about it. And right. now people talk about it. So I think, you know, people are and I will I will be stereotypical and say a lot of women read fan fiction where not a lot of stuff happens, but it's just characters talking or going shopping or going to the coffee shop. <laughs> <laughs> so there is something to be said for books where, um, you know, the stakes are low, but the characterization is high. Yeah. I think this book definitely crosses that off. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And and. I mean, to to kind of get to my actual initial impressions of the book like that is I, I recognized as I was reading it that the, that the what you said about the plot, how it, there was nothing happening. The plot didn't really kick into gear really ever. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and like I was totally aware of that. But I the whole time I was reading, it, I was just like, I don't even care. Like yeah. I'm not mad about it because I'm just so interested in these characters. And maybe that just means that I need to read more fan fiction because maybe I'd find more satisfying stories than uh, what I'm finding in the mainstream sci-fi market. But like, I just, every single one of these characters was so rich and so interesting. And I just, I could just read about them doing their day-to-day things all day long because it was just so fascinating to me. So, um, let's get into the world building. Cause that was really the thing that, piqued my interest um and mm-hmm. and I, I i would read a lot of books set in this in this world just uh not necessarily with the same characters but just because i f- i find it really interesting so yeah there's a lot of cool stuff going on here yeah so i guess um the galact it's the galactic commons is the government pretty much and it's set up like a parliament um, where all of the different species have representation and there's a lot of species. I don't even know how many exactly there are. Um, where have we heard that set up before? Mm, Government where all the different mm, species have representation. I don't know. Mm. Hmm. <laughs> but um, unlike 
the the wars. <laughs> uh, <laughs> humans are not the main species in this world, which I think is one of the reasons I liked it so much. Yep, that, um, that's one of my first hallelujah choruses. <laughs> I'm shocked like, by this. We can perceive a universe where humans aren't the center of it? <laughs> Holy cow. Yeah, like I, I really liked that because a lot of, you know, in a lot of stories, you either have humans going out and exploring the galaxy on you know the are there other galaxies and there's either no aliens at all like for example the series i'm reading now which i never <laughs> talk on about on twitter the verkosigan books there are oh, you're no- reading those I yes no i idea. am danny <laughs> <laughs> uh but there are no aliens it's just it's just humans um right and then you know there are stories like uh ugh, of course i can't think of anything right now where we find aliens but i mean again yeah. all the all the star traditional trek, star trek there we go. go star wars and star trek and yeah. and um battlestar galactic and you know part of it's just because you know it's i mean in visual medium it's easier to have human actors probably yeah. but also like i think the traditional perspective is that it gives the entry point it makes it accessible for humans oh that's a character i can relate to because it's me right um yeah right Oh, Danny, I'm so excited for you to read a future book in the X-Wing series that I can't tell you about right now. <laughs> well, not many left on the list. so <laughs> Just saying. Um, but yeah, I um, I liked that because I've had ideas for stories before where like humans go out into the galaxy and it's like, we're not the only ones and they're right. they're way more advanced or like people or aliens come and discover us and then like an X earth or whatever, you know, like that sort of thing. So I liked that a lot. And I liked the, um, the backstory with the, the Solans, the, the people who stayed in the solar system and then the people who left in the Exodus fleet and how they basically like, evolved into different cultures and there was a divide between them and then you know they're, they're finally kind of you know at peace now but they're still like so different and um I, I no i haven't was... oh sorry i haven't i haven't read or watched the expanse yet but that's uh-huh. kind of the premise for that too isn't it um kind of yeah so in the expanse there's there's really only there's earth and there's Mars, and then there's um, it's called the the OPA, which is like um for like it, it's it it's 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 depicted as a terrorist group, but it's really like you know trying to get you know more um like power for the the belt and all of the you know the people who live out in the belt and stuff so there's mm-hmm. really like the three the three groups that are kind of like clashing all the time um and the the, okay. the belters are you know they they are poor and they you know have they they grow to be a lot taller because of the lack of gravity um and just you know there's a lot of conflict because they are basically mining all of the things that are being sent to earth and mars so right but yeah so so that's basically a smaller scale version of what's happening yeah. in this book yeah okay. i i could very much see like the people on mars and earth like staying there and then like the belters going away like that sort of thing mm-hmm. but um 
but it was and it was interesting because uh in here the people have left earth out of necessity uh because we destroyed earth because we suck <laughs> Yeah. what a what a unique concept right <laughs> can't imagine how that we could come to that i know um uh, but yeah yeah and i like that how it's still grounded like quote unquote reality like it is a it's a pre- it starts with a premise that you can understand but then we get to the, the wider universe beyond the solar system where humans aren't the only ones but it's still like the backstory fits with our experience of earth yeah and the um the 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 fleet it's like they it's basically like a generation ship kind of deal where there's there you know there's not faster than light travel and they they kind of they 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 probably would have just drifted forever if the one species hadn't come upon them and brought them in to the uh, galactic commons. And the the one the the one thing I found really interesting was that um, the the his like the uh, what do you call it when the uh, the hearing when Rosemary was like reading the documents and like mm-hmm. there was the hearing of for bringing humans into the galactic commons and the peop- and the, the one species was like no <laughs> right <laughs> they don't deserve it uh, like, they're the heroes of the book yeah <laughs> they should be anyway yeah uh so let's talk about the other species i don't even think they say a specific number of how many are in the book or how many are are even in this this universe i mean but yeah um, and i kind of liked that it wasn't it wasn't concrete it was more just like there's a lot. Yeah, because And here are the ones that are, you know, we know more about the ones that are in close proximity to us or the ones that we have represented on the ship. We're going to learn more about them and the other ones, we, mm-hmm. you know. They're not they're not in our immediate world and so it's not relevant. Yeah. Um the Andrix were really interesting. Um, yeah, probably probably my favorite species that was introduced in this book. Yeah. Um I I liked that the they had a like a slur for them uh, right because i could you know people would do that because people yeah suck. <laughs> yeah it was a, it made it very real again and just i mean it's the obvious comparison to racism but you mm-hmm. know it it made sense because you know, yeah like you said humans suck and we're gonna find ways to discriminate against people that aren't like us no matter how many millions of light years away we are yep <laughs> um and there's the uh the grum which I, they had a really interesting history, mm-hmm. um, and I was that that whole conversation what between Doctor Chef and Rosemary I really enjoyed, and um, I I, I kind of wish was so tragic. Yeah, I'm like I kind of wish like that would have been a book in and of it like of its own, you know? Yeah. Um, and I especially liked how they uh. They basically started out as female, but then became male later on in their lives. Yep. Um, yep. I'm all about that. I'm, I, I mean, you you know this. I'm preaching <laughs> to the choir. But every time I see an alien species that adheres to the human gender binary, my head just goes through a wall. <laughs> so it's always nice to see some variation on that. Yeah. Um, there's, I can't, what was, I can't remember what the species name was. Ohan. Oh crap! What was oh, that? I don't even remember. I just, I just call him <laughs> Ohan. <laughs> well, his species, um, and they again were a very tragic sort of um, 
people and I have a lot of thoughts about how that storyline played out. Yeah. Which we'll get to later. <laughs> um so the uh sort of the I guess quote unquote physics of this world. Cyan uh, sorry, cyanet pair is what Oh, oh yes, cyanet pair. Thank you. Yeah. Um so those are the three that are on the Wayfarer. And then mm -hmm. there are lots of others. There's the um the eight I I don't even know how to pronounce it. The Aulons. Aulons are the yep. like Aulons. Yeah, they're kind of like the main uh I don't know if I'd call them the main, but they're one of the main species in the Galactic Commons. Yeah. Um Harmagians are another one yes. that get brought up a lot. Yeah. Um so the the Wayfarer is a tunneling ship. In the physics, quote unquote, of this universe, there is no like faster than light travel. So they basically create wormholes through space. Um, and the Wayfarer is one of the ships that like goes and like creates these um, into other uh, into other like regions of space, which I thought was really cool. Yep. Um, yeah, cool concept. And I liked that there was like different levels of it like they were kind of like a middle of the road tunneling ship um and there were other like bigger and better ships that could go to more dangerous places um and in order to do that they would have to basically upgrade their ship yeah um, but i will say if you're listening to this going oh man that sounds so cool tunneling making wormholes i want to learn all about that and the physics of that and and the dangers of that like, you're gonna have to look for another book yeah <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> it's merely a framing device it's a really cool concept but it's just a framing device to learn the stories of the characters yes uh th she doesn't try to explain how it works I, right. and i'm glad i mean she, it yeah, kind same. of does <laughs> like there there is that scene when they they when they are tunneling out of control which was really good yeah. uh but it's it's mostly like characters reacting to things going terribly wrong yeah um, but yeah um she's i mean the author's probably like, there's no way to satisfactorily explain this anyway no. so <laughs> well i mean and that's really my kind of favorite sci-fi like i i don't really like hard sci-fi um mm -hmm. i'm much more of a soft sci-fi or space opera kind of person so Whenever they try to explain how things work, I'm kind of like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, uh, just just give me the basics. Um, pew pew, get to the trashy romance already. Yeah, <laughs> and um, so it, it's which is funny because in in uh, there are some of Timothy Zahn's books where he tries to explain how the physics works because he is a He's he's um was trained he went to school for physics. Uh he's a physicist, but mm -hmm. he never got his PhD uh because his advisor died and that's when he became a full-time writer. Uh so he uh he he will try to explain things, but he's very good at knowing when to stop. <laughs> um I I mean there's probably books of his where he gets way more into it. But in a, most of the books I've written, he'll be like, okay, this is how everything works, blah, 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 blah. Okay, let's go. I'm like, yeah, all right, good. probably one of the best examples of like having just such a tightly crafted narrative. And yeah, and yeah like you said, knowing knowing when to rein it in. Yeah. Like one of my Looking at you, Michael Stackpole. <laughs> 
like one of my favorite books he's written is the, the Icarus Hunt, and it's um, and they explain how like the hyperspace works, and it's really cool because they have the every every cr- crew has to have a spacewalker because the hull gets ridges because of the pressure during hyperspace. <laughs> Sure, 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 sure. So cool. I'm like, oh yeah, that makes total sense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whatever. So yeah, the tunneling through space was really cool, but um, don't expect a textbook on it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll leave the next two to you, Danny, because yeah, you added I added these, added these <laughs> just like little elements of the world building. So one was just the treatment of gender, which again I've already mentioned. Um, seeing variations on that in the alien species, but also. My favorite thing in the world, they have a universal gender pronoun. Yeah. So if there's a species and they don't know what that species gender identity or pronoun preference is, they just use the universal pronoun. And my kingdom for that to be the case in our world someday. (laughs) When I read that part, uh, my first thought was, oh, my God, Danny probably freaking loves this. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And then later on, when I saw you tweet about the book, I'm like, oh, yep. I'm going to get Danny on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was so great. And it was, and again, and, and really with all the world building, it was never, we, we already kind of mentioned this with the, you know, the way that she handled the wormholing, but like nothing was ever exposition. Yeah. Like it was always incorporated into a narrative in a meaningful way. So we didn't, we didn't have to like pause so that she could, you know, go all Tolkien on us and explain the history of the Galactic Commons for 10 pages. Like right. it just, there's little pieces here and there, and you put the story together as it comes up in the conversations between the characters. And this was another example of that where I think, I don't know, it's, you know, it's been a year since I read it, but I think someone just dropped the pronoun and then the other person was like, oh yeah, the universal gender pronoun. And I was like, that's so cool. Yeah, I, I think it was something like uh, a Rosemary was, Rosemary was in her, in her prose, it was like, um, she couldn't figure out what the gender was, so she just used the neutral one. Yep. Um, and I was like, oh, yep. Yeah, that that's, yeah, I, so I, I like that. It's just another, like, I really like ancillary justice and the way that, you know, Anne Lucky handles gender and, yeah. you know, again, the the question of if you don't know someone's pronouns, but this was just, again, another perspective on that, and I always appreciate when yeah. when authors incorporate that in. I almost would have preferred if they didn't even just call, if they hadn't even called it out, if they had just mm-hmm. used it, but on the other hand, I do appreciate when they call it out just because it's not the, the standard right now. So Yeah, I think in 2017 it still has to be called <laughs> out, but I look forward to the day when... <laughs> When you don't have to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, when did did uh, did did in aftermath? Did he ever no. specifically explain, or he just nope. was using the pronouns? Right. Yeah. So so that. Yeah. That's why a lot of people thought it was a typo. I when I when yeah. I started reading it, I thought it was a typo, and then I was like, oh no, it's not a typo. Well, it comes up <laughs> a couple more times, and you yeah. realize, yeah. Yeah, and I I will say as as a as a writer pers- type person uh, that I, the book I'm writing now, there's a character who is non-binary and uses the pronoun they, which is really hard to write a lot of times. Because yeah. You're like, a tough one. Cause I'm like, wait, no, wait, what, what verb do I use now? <laughs> like, do I yeah. plural singular? <laughs> yeah. But, uh, so I, I appreciate when authors make the effort to do that. Yeah, I like space pronouns. Yeah. <laughs> fun, fun times. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing I wanted to talk about was food because food played a really big role in this book. Yeah. And I thought it was just such a cool touch again because 
food is just such a, I mean, it's every single day we eat, like it's a thing we do. Mm -hmm. And but it's a thing that you hardly ever see mentioned in, I feel like, in sci fi fantasy. And when it does come up, it's really awkward. I'm thinking of Heir to the Jedi, for example, (laughs) when you're like, this feels so out of place. Like the food just it felt like a totally natural part of the world that she was building. And like one of the characters was the chef. And so many scenes take place in the kitchen. And again, like that's just it's a part of their culture. It's just it's where they see each other. It's where they gather. It's where meaningful conversations take place. And um, I just really loved that element of it. Yeah, it's it's true. It's, um, you know, you think of how how food plays a part in our daily lives, like just with people going out to eat or, you know, people eating together at home and talking about their day and, you know, all the shows on TV about um, one of the shows Brian likes to watch is Bizarre Foods uh, mm-hmm. or the the other whatever his other one is. But like, you know, the, he goes, you know, to different countries and, you know, they show how what people eat and how like all the cultures have different types of food and how they prepare food. Um, so I, I, I like when sci fi can kind of touch on that. And um, the one thing I loved was the thing about the the red coast bugs yes um how like the fact that rosemary didn't had never had one basically said so much about her uh because she you know was a you know lived on a planet her whole life and wasn't flying you know wasn't in space um and yeah. kind of made her seem to be more of a like a, a rich rich girl than the the others who had basically subsided on bugs forever right which yeah which again (laughs) is such a real uh connection that we can relate to yeah or at least understand with our view of the world and i had never thought about the the using bugs as food um Mm -hmm. but like the idea that it was they're easy to breed in space and that you know and i'm like yeah that actually makes good sense that <laughs> they would be a good source of food not to detract too much but a little side note that also on earth bugs are significantly more sustainable than beef than pork than any of our other meat, <laughs> meat stuff so if we're gonna save the planet we need to start, start eating bugs okay with eating crickets mm. oh danny <laughs> i don't know if i can do that <laughs> start with the powder it's a good way to start oh no break, break you in a little bit no but I mean, I, I would not be surprised if someday we are farming like pig sized crickets, which is what was a thing that was in, in the book, which I just yeah. loved. Cause I, yeah. like, I would love to eat a, you know, a cricket that's the size of a small cat someday. Like that would just be Aww. ridiculous and yeah. amazing. Yeah. Um, so like we said before, the plot of the book, is very light. Uh, it's, it's see, it's basically a road trip story. Um, they, the main plot is that they get a job to tunnel to a new planet in the core that's, um, owned, or it's, there's this one alien species there that they're always fighting amongst each other, and the Galactic Commons has created an alliance with one of the factions, and they are basically employed to get there and then tunnel back so they have to take the long way <laughs> oh <laughs> to a small angry planet <laughs> uh, yeah 
And it really is a long way. It is a long way. It takes like a year. Um, yep. And it's a really lucrative job. And they can, uh, will have enough money to upgrade their ship to get the, the nice fancy jobs that Ashby wants. So uh, they take it. Um, I f- It's more of episodic stories than one long overarching plot, which um, it also, it kind of reminded me of uh, Thrawn, the book, the novel that just came out, because oh yeah, it was that was very much like okay, this was happening, and then we move on to this chapter of Thrawn's life, and then this chapter. Um, mm-hmm. So it, it reminded me of that, even though it's that was a, a lot longer period of time than this book. But um, you know, because yeah. you have sort of like you have a the where they go to Sissix's uh, home world, and then the plot with Ohan, and then um you know rosemary and dr chef talking about their past and like that sort of thing yeah that was it was a little jarring at first again because i just picked it up and was just expecting another sci-fi book and it was not that but as soon as i kind of realized that like each chapter is is its own adventure of the week kind of thing um like that was when i really Mm -hmm. you know just i kind of changed in my brain what my expectation was and thinking of it more of like a tv show with episodes really um yeah. You know, I really, really enjoyed it, you know, thinking about it from that perspective. I also love that it, again, subverting expectations. Like the first chapter is told from Rosemary's perspective. Yeah. And she's the new character joining this group of people that already knows each other. So in a traditional book, the story would be about Rosemary and herself integrating into the crew. And that is what it's about. But like after the first chapter, you don't get another chapter from a perspective in like 200 pages, I think. Yeah. So it's I love that it again, you're expecting to like be in her head all this time, but then you're instead with all the other characters and seeing her integrating into the group. Um, but she's not the main focus in any way. And in some chapters, she's like barely even there, but they'll mention this little thing that like you're, you're reminded of what's going on with her story and, and how she's, you know, the new person and slowly becoming a part of the crew. Yeah. Um, I think I would have liked more from her. Um, mm-hmm. That's just my personal, uh, you know, my personal desires i guess yeah for sure <laughs> but um but i did like that it it was focused on other characters as well um there were some that i was kind of like wondering where is this character in this scene yeah. <laughs> she did seem to kind of forget about some of the characters and from time to time but um you had you mentioned how it, like every chapter was kind of its own thing and i was like again that is very fanfic <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah um yeah um, and I forgot what I was going to say. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I, I mentioned it earlier, but, um, pretty much a lot of people compare this to Firefly, um, which I can understand why, because it's a crew, but, um, <laughs> yep. but for me, like it kind of ended there. <laughs> Like the comparison. Yeah, I think the only other reason I think is because it's episodic. And yeah. It, and, and, you know, Firefly being a TV show where things tended to mostly resolve at the end of each episode and then you move on to the next. Yeah. Next thing. Yeah. I would have liked if there had been more of a more of like consequences for each like episode, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. It seemed a lot of the things kind of were just not leading up to the main um you know the the end of the story i guess but if you know this is a very character focused book and they the characters were did change as the story went on so yeah 
Yeah, I think I think the Firefly comparisons are, as you said, basically any time that it's a group of characters on a ship, we go, oh, it's like Firefly. Yeah. <laughs> when really that that we should just come up with a genre name for that because there's so much great stuff out there that is, you know, Road and maybe space, space opera is is what that is. But yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so you had written the last one and this is a very Danny thing too. <laughs> oh yeah. So I just, it, this is maybe a little like woo woo of me, but <laughs> like I thought, I felt like I was, another thing that just really fascinated me about this was that these, the characters had all these different interactions and in any other book, like these very different characters from different backgrounds would, would be having these conflicts and these conflicts would drive the story forward. But it, I didn't feel like there was ever any huge conflicts, but rather they were uh, there was love like all the characters love each other in this really in different ways. Like some of them, there's, you know, there's a couple of romantic plot lines that happen and there's this platonic love. And in some cases, it's, you know, I can't even define it with what what their relationship is. But but love and forgiveness and understanding and acceptance seem to be like what drove the story forward. And, and like I said, it's, it's very kind of hippie of me, I guess. <laughs> I just thought that was really interesting because you would th- like me saying that isn't a great sell on the book. Cause you're like, no, I want conflict. Conflict yeah. is what makes things happen. But like it, it, I didn't need it. It didn't need it to drive their stories forward. Yeah. Um, and well, I just thought that was very fast. It was a very, it was a very positive book. And again, we got that from reading the description up above, but yeah. um, it was, it was just, it was, a, it was refreshing well, to I go think... from when things, everything is usually just conflict this and conflict that to realize yeah. that you can t- still tell a good story with characters that like each other. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think like every book, every story needs conflict or else you don't have a story. Um, right. But here it's not necessarily that the characters are creating the conflicts they are responding to the world itself or culture clashes or something like that um yeah so what's the what's what's the whole thing it's like there's person versus person yeah person versus society person versus um self and yeah. then is there one more person versus uh, i don't know anyway but this was nature. very much like Oh yeah, person versus nature. This was very much person versus self was the yeah. conflict here. And and the conflict did not exist between the characters, but rather it was within themselves. Yeah. So let's go on to the characters because they, they are pretty much the bread and butter of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, Rosemary, as we said, is kind of the main character. She's the first person you meet. Um, you were very much drawn into the book right away because she is going to this new ship and she has a background that she does not like. Um, so immediately you're wondering what's her deal. Um, and you find out, thankfully, <laughs> like about halfway through the book. Yeah, they don't drag it out, which is nice. Yeah, I would have liked more from it, but I also like that... Um, the other crew members didn't like turn against her um, Mm -hmm. because yeah, I think that's a good example of what I was trying to say above. Whereas it would have been really easy to just have them all turn on her at that point and have a period of time where she's isolated from them. Yeah. So her, um, so basically her dad was convicted of selling arms to just basically an arms dealer. Um, and she left to get away from that past and, um, changed her last name 
so no and changed her id so no one would know who she was um and she she tries to run away from it but she sees a news report about his trial and it kind of you know makes her break down and then she admits or confesses to the to the crew what you know that she's his daughter um and you know they don't really they don't blame her you know they're like yeah i guess you should have you know we can understand why you didn't tell us um but you know we don't we don't blame you for your father's actions uh which i liked very much <laughs> mm-hmm. um i i think i would have liked more um like internal stuff cuz we like you said we don't really get a lot from Rosemary's point of view in the beginning so i think i would have i, I would have liked to see more of like her struggling with that but yeah. um but i liked that it was the the other characters didn't like say oh no you have to leave blah blah, blah. <laughs> right <laughs> that would happen a lot of times <laughs> yeah um there's ashby who is the captain of the ship um and he uh he was very interesting i liked him a lot he was he, there was a really a lot going on with him he was just like a very like good guy you yeah, know, he felt solid like dude. It, he almost <laughs> felt out of place because he didn't have like uh, any quirks or like trauma in his history yeah. <laughs> or whatever. He was just he was just the guy who just wanted to, you know, pilot the ship and was, you know, friendly to everyone. Yeah. <laughs> Which I guess uh, you need you need a couple characters in there to balance out, you know, that the histrionics of the rest, but <laughs> Yeah. He did um he did have the relationship with the Aulon lady yes. uh Pay was her name, Pay or yeah. Pi. Um, and which was a secret because um Aelons are kind of ostracized if they have relationships outside of their species, which sounds familiar to a species in Star Wars, Borskphalia. Mm. <laughs> uh stupid Bothans. <laughs> so the Aelons are the Bothans, got it. <laughs> Well, they're a lot prettier, apparently. Like, yeah, everyone okay. thinks that... Apparently, everyone thinks the Aeolons are attractive. Which... That's true. Like, with <laughs> Bothans, it's like, you're not allowed to have a relationship with any you're not outside your species, and every species outside of them is like, good, we don't want to. <laughs> exactly. Because <laughs> you're the worst. Yeah. Um, I'm reminded of a conversation that, our, that Ashby and uh, Pei had together, because um, going back to the food... Where they say how they like stay in the hotel and order room service, but they like always end up arguing over what to order, <laughs> mm-hmm. which was was funny, relatable. Yeah, um, and then there's Sissix, who's the Andrisk pilot, and I liked her a lot. She's probably my second favorite character of the book. Yeah, if if me telling you that there's a polyamorous lizard alien woman on this book <laughs> doesn't get you to read it, then I think you're probably not going to be interested it in this book. It reminded me a lot. I I um so I do not watch Doctor Who, but I've seen enough memes of Doctor Who to know about the lizard woman and her wife and that's all i could think about (laughs) during this this part (laughs) um but yeah sissix is really cool um she did a really good job of writing from sissix's perspective and not especially because her culture was 
sorry, go ahead. Oh, and there's not having it come off as like human writing an alien, you know? Yeah, that's what I was going to say is that like her culture is so distinct and so unique. And and that's one of the strengths of this author, I think, is is making again, making that relatable and making me as a human not feel like I have no idea what's going on here. Yeah. And like the, the the times when she's like, I just can't understand humans like she wants to touch everyone and she can't. She holds herself back because, you know, humans, you don't usually go up and touch people, you know, <laughs> uh, but in her culture, you know, the Andrix, like that's that's what they do. They're very affectionate. Yeah. Um, and uh, can I just say I laughed so hard when uh, Rosemary and Ashby went with her to the planet and the kid just came up and grabbed rosemary's boobs yeah <laughs> it's like what are these and she's yeah. like ah what are you wait doing? what's going on <laughs> i'm like oh my god that's hilarious <laughs> but like and it's funny because like i have you know friends who have kids and their human kids do that <laughs> do that same yeah and it's it's completely innocent yeah. but it's also just a scandalous enough to make you go oh my goodness <laughs> yeah um yeah. So I liked her a lot. Um, so as I was reading this, there was that that scene on her planet and like, you know, Rosemary is kind of watching her. And I started to think. That was th a really big moment for Rosemary's character too, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, because like she's so sheltered, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. But um, I was reading that scene and I was thinking, are they going where I think they're going? <laughs> <laughs> and then they did. And I was like, if this was any other book, I would think no. But yeah. then they had that conversation with Sizzix and Rosemary. And I was just like, oh, my God, Rosemary, you are not good at this. <laughs> right. Yeah, that was one of my favorite dialogues was Rosemary and Sizzix's scene. And and Sissick slowly realizing what was happening. Right. She's like, wait, she changed. <laughs> she put on perfume. She brought one. Oh, oh shit. Oh. <laughs> she could have just touched me, but no. Oh. Like, why can't we use just hand speak and like figure why do we have to do all this? Right. Um so yeah, I was like, oh, yep. Oh, okay. They went there. <laughs> So, you know, one more tick in my box of things that I love seeing in sci-fi books is interspecies relationships. So mm -hmm. I liked the part when Sissick said she's never coupled with a human before. And Rosemary said, good, I wouldn't want any of us to have an advantage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good line. And then I'm like, see, this is where they need fanfic of this book, because I would like to read all of the scenes where Sissick and Rosemary try to figure out what the hell they're doing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I was kind of disappointed when the chapter ended right there. And I was like, oh, you want more details? It's like, man, like, see, this is why this is why you got to go to fanfic. Yep, yep. <laughs> uh, and then we have Corbin, who is our the space totally racist. Other end of the spectrum. <laughs> our space racist of the book. You have to have Grouchy one space racist LG doctor. <laughs> yeah. He, he and Caston would have been friends. Oh, yeah. That's, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I think Caston is even a little too bro for him. Yeah. He's like, he's he's kind of a curmudgeonly, like, I'll just be in my room, space yeah. racist. <laughs> yeah. Um, he, yeah, there were, he was one of the ones where there were a lot of scenes where um, I was like, they forgot Corbin existed. <laughs> um, I think that was just his character, though. Yeah. That, like, he wasn't, he was just out of it so much because he was grumpy and, like, right. in his room with his algae. 
And then later on, we the only only living things that understood him for who he was. <laughs> well, and we find out why he kind of is the way he is. Uh, mm-hmm. That that part um, where Corbin is arrested, um, there's a species that boards the ship as they go through their space, and they you know scan them all, and they take Corbin away, and they have no idea why what he's done, and they're like he exists, and then like someone. Like they throw him in a cell and they say like something, stay here, clone, and you're like, what? Whoa, what? <laughs> what the hell? Yeah, that was a really good moment, and I loved the world building behind the clone, like clones in this world, and how they it's basically illegal. Right. Um, yeah, I like how. I mean, it's just one more example of how it's a very. It's a sci-fi trope that she worked in there, but in a totally unexpected way. Yeah. Um, And it was very interesting because I like it seems like the books I'm reading recently recently are all have like clones in them at some point. So Six Weeks was the last book, which um, was all about clones. (laughs) And then uh, the Rakozigan books, there's, you know, clones are kind of uh, there's there's a character who is a clone who's. Uh, main character and then like cloning is just kind of a thing that happens um like it but on some worlds it's seen as more like there's more approving of it than others mm-hmm. um so i liked the way that played out in here where you know some species just kind of like didn't care and others were like no you, you this is a capital offense basically right um, so Corbin had no idea that he was a clone. Uh, he, his mother died while uh, she was pregnant, and his father had himself cloned. Um, which... You know, dealing with his grief in a totally appropriate manner there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I was like, <laughs> I was very upset about the, you know, the mother dying while she was pregnant. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I you kind of like feel a little sorry for him, <laughs> and he starts to get a little more uh, uh, friendlier, I guess. <laughs> yeah, towards the end, he you start to relate to him a little bit. Yeah, and he basically has to be uh, released to a guardian's protection, and it has to be like a species that I, there was something with the cloning laws. And basically, Sissix was the only one who could do it. Yeah. <laughs> and they don't like each other. So there's, yeah, there's some good... conflict. But Yeah, again, good good conflict. But like even by the end of it, I feel like the two of them had, you know, developed instead of just this mutual hatred. They they kind of worked through that. Yeah. Yeah. And I bet you Corbin isn't throwing around racial slurs anymore by the end of this book. Probably. Yeah. Uh, and then we've got Jenks and Kizzy, who are the techs. Um, I they were them. delightful. They were very delightful. I I was kind of shipping them, but you're not really supposed to. <laughs> yeah, Jenks, Jenks is a little preoccupied with someone else. Yeah, <laughs> or something else. That's really the question, isn't it? Yeah. Um, um I, lo- I I loved Kizzy. The thing I really remember about her was that that she was always trying to make her food spicier. Yeah. Like, it was just never spicy enough for her. Yeah. <laughs> uh, again, just little details about these characters that make some fun. Yeah. Um, and uh, Kizzy uh, mentioned her two dads several times. 
Yes. Which yeah. I liked. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they were they were fun. They were kind of like the comic relief of the book, except for the end. For sure. <laughs> except yeah, for Jenks, the end. <laughs> Jenks has his his side story with the romance, which we'll talk about in a couple characters. But like yeah. w- focusing on just the two of them, like they were just they always brought the mood up and and yeah. were always. I yeah, liked when they were like so delightful. When they were like, Sizzix, would you mind if we went to this concert and got high instead of hanging out with your family? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah they're like they're just like the siblings that you want to have yeah because yeah. they did they did bicker sometimes but it was always like at the end of the day they just wanted to have fun yeah um and i liked how they um like jenks's backstory and like how they explained like he, jenks is short uh and how they like explained that and it it oh, yeah. didn't come off like uh in insensitive you know <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, again with short characters I'm reading Miles Borkos again <laughs> uh, then we get my favorite character Dr. Chef <laughs> my favorite character too yay <laughs> did you have a visual in your head for this guy um I kind of like Dexter Jetster <laughs> oh my god same yeah <laughs> yay! that's exactly who I picked <laughs> And maybe it's because he's a diner chef with four arms. Yeah. I don't know. But like that, like as soon as the description <laughs> of him came up, I was like, yep, it's Dexter Jetster. <laughs> Obi-Wan. And even like you can imagine him having the the voice because a big thing about this character was his voice and yeah. how like language you like they humans can't replicate it because it involves multiple. I don't remember multiple voice boxes or something's going on there. Mm-hmm. And you could totally see Dexter Jetster making yeah. those kind of sounds that they were describing too. They're like only whales can hear them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I liked him a lot. And um, he was, he was just a good character and, you know, had a lot of, uh, you know, had a lot of personality and I, I liked yeah. a really interesting example of like this character who's totally, amiable and just like gets along with everyone and you find out that like his backstory is just so tragic his species is basically going to go extinct he's one of the last ones there's nothing he can do about it and and yet instead of you know being dreary and down about it he's just trying to live life and make life better for the family around him yeah and that he was a a doctor in the the army or whatever and you know was watching all of his people die because they were fighting against each other and like you know one of his daughters was came came to him you know for treatment and it was like it was so sad and i i loved that they their species they start off female because then the the women are the ones going off and uh you know fighting and stuff um and not you know men like typical uh stories so Mm -hmm. I, i liked that uh, and then we have Ohan, who is the cyanot pair. Um, this was also, uh, you know, where they kind of, uh, you know, did something interesting with gender because they use they for Ohan, but because of the, the idea that he is part of a pair, mm-hmm. not necessarily gender identity. Um, but so... Basically, their species, they start off, like, you know, just normal, and then they are infected. And then the disease, the infection basically makes them able to perceive the subspace. Uh, so they become, like, the navigators for all mm-hmm. the ships. But they die really young because of the disease that they have. 
Um, and you, you, we find out Ohan is basically dying as this book is going on. And, um, the last, like, basically the last mission that they have is like, his, it's going to be his last mission and he knows it. Um, but, uh, <laughs> we find out that they, there's a like colony of his people who are heretics and, uh, they have learned, they have basically know how to he- heal themselves, but still maintain their navigational abilities. Uh, so the the big conflict becomes: Does Ohan get cured or not? Um, which just a really like fascinating question yeah. and well, and like thing to think about from Ohan's perspective. Yeah, of, you know, would you rather die with your identity intact or be able to keep living but have to like assimilate to a whole different identity? Yeah, I um, yeah, I I, I find it a very interesting it kind of reminded me of some of the the philosophical debates about like um people who you know refused medical treatment uh and whether you know doctors should force it on them or not um and like as i was reading it i was i was very much on the side of it's stupid (laughs) like my human perspective is like okay come on definitely you know take the cure but I was like sort of horrified with the idea of them giving it to him against his will. <laughs> like yeah, that scene exactly the same. I was like, oh my God, like that that is like awful and like such a violation of like personal autonomy and cons- consent and it was just horrifying to me. And I was like, but I was also glad that Ohan was gonna live. <laughs> so it's it was very, you know, there wasn't really a good answer for it. And I appreciated that because um, I like when science fiction does that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, yep. A good philosophical question that, you know, could keep readers debating for years. Yeah. Um, and then there's the artificial intelligence Lovelace, a.k.a. Lovey. Because we haven't hit enough sci-fi tropes yet, we've also got an AI on the ship. Of course. And there's several. There's AIs all throughout this universe, which mm-hmm. was cool. Um, but uh, so Jenks and Lovey are kind of like in love with each other, which yeah, kind of. as I was reading this, I was like, oh, he's Luke Skywalker in love with the computer. <laughs> uh, but, you know. He basically goes and tries to get a body kit for her. Um, and later on, they decide that they are not going to do that just because of the risks involved. And he would rather have Lovey as an AI than nothing, you know, mm-hmm. which was kind of really sweet in a weird yep. way. <laughs> very, very mature of him. Yeah. Um, but uh, so the the end of the book is there is... Um, They are fired upon by the aliens right before they go into the tunnel. Um, And that that seems great, like I said before. Um, But uh, so when they when they finally like get out, they realize that Lovelace is damaged. Um, And the only way to fix it is to do a reboot. And they don't know if it's she's going to come back as the AI they know or if she's gonna basically reset to the factory memory's gonna be wiped yeah yeah and um so the end of that chapter 
when um she came back on and she's like hi my name is lovelace how may i help you like my heart dropped Ugh, yeah it was so upsetting <laughs> yeah it's amazing how she got us so invested in this love story between a human and a computer yeah which i mean every t- <laughs> i hope saf isn't listening because like <laughs> the a- ai type of relationship like ai is looking for humanity not not really my favorite um sci-fi themed explorer like uh-huh. but again this book just did it in such a unique way and, and it did it so well yeah that I, yeah i was completely devastated by the point that that happened it was really upsetting yeah. <laughs> really upsetting yeah. um and i really enjoyed the you know the fallout from that um i could just picture like jenks running out and like getting the escape pod and then uh kizzy running after him and like Mm -hmm. the scene with him and kizzy at the end when he's like thanking her for being there for him was just like oh yeah that that uh, we see that relationship that like we said was just such like they were just good friends all along and like you just you don't really see them having any like deep meaningful things going on they're just like love and life together yeah but to see that you know in that time of crisis they were able to come through for each other was really powerful yeah um, and speaking of Lovelace, yeah, it's good, <laughs> good transition to talk about uh, the sequel. Yeah, have you read it? I have. Okay, and I'm not sure if I liked it more in this one or not, but I loved it just as much. Okay. So if if you loved the long way to a small angry planet, I would definitely recommend the sequel. It's called A Closed and Common Orbit, and I put sequel in quotes because it's not it's not a direct sequel. We don't continue with the crew. It's not the same kind of book. But instead, it focuses on this character of Lovelace, um, who ends up be- because they figure out like this, we can't have you in the ship with Jenks. Like that's just not going to work. At the end yeah. of Long Way to Small Your Planet, they do end up finding a body kit for her and and uploading her into a body kit. And Pepper, who is the character that was you know helping Jenks out with all that, ends up taking Lovey under her wing. And so the sequel is the story of Pepper and Lovey as. She's navigating what it's like to be an AI suddenly in a human body living in a, you know, in this galaxy. And so it's a a lot of similarities to the first book. You know, it's a lot of the same kind of it's very character driven. There's not a ton of plot. And, um, you know, a lot of these bigger themes are explored, but it really also kind of focuses more than the first book because it's just these really these two characters um, and it really is this exploration of this one theme of of like AI and humanity and an AI for, grappling with humanity and, and, and what that means to be human or to have, quote unquote, humanity. And the ways like the, the chapters are a lot shorter and, and it just it jumps back and forth between Lovey and Pepper. And it's telling Pepper's like it's flashbacks for Pepper. It's showing the story of her childhood mm. and um and then it's showing Lovey in the present grappling with this AI stuff. And Pepper's childhood story is also very much that theme. Like she also has very meaningful encounters with AI. So again, there's that theme of humanity and AI and the two stories kind of converge at the end. So it's, it's really beautiful. I really loved it. Um, yeah, I won't say much more. Give it a read. Cool. I recommend it. Yeah. I'm glad you've read it. Cause especially, I, I <laughs> yeah, especially if the AI humanity theme is, is one that tickles your fancy. This is definitely um a, a fascinating and just really lovely take on it oh i have a friend who needs to read this book then <laughs> yeah. and i think you could even read it like I, it stands alone 
all right, you wouldn't need to have read the first one. Like, you know, there's the little bit of context of knowing where Lovey came from. But other than that, like the mm-hmm. sequel stands on its own, which I always enjoy when when novels yeah. do that, too, when it's in the same universe. But, you know, you can have different entry points for people. Yeah. I would like more with the actual crew because I really liked them. But yes, absolutely. And I think that um, Becky Chambers has kind of set herself up to be able to have this literary universe. And I hope that she keeps writing in it because there are so many characters and, and she could continue to do ensemble books and also books that are focused on individual characters or cultures. And there's just so much that could be explored based on these two books. Yeah, so far. because it's not a plot driven story. It's character driven story. So she can pretty much write any sort of story she wants with any characters in this mm-hmm. world, which is cool. Yeah. All right, cool. Is there anything else we want to discuss about the book? Or I think I mentioned everything I wanted to say. Yeah, I I like it a lot. <laughs> Go read it. <laughs> it's, it's it's one of those books that like it's been a year since I read it, and I still probably think about some some aspect of it every day. So it's really stuck with me. And honestly, that's the best review I can give. Aww. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Danny. It was a pleasure having you. Thanks. Good way to spend a Sunday morning. Yes. Geeking out about books I love. It is. So um, this episode of the Tashi Station Book Club has been brought to you by you, our Patreon subscribers. Please click the links on the blog to help us support the show. And if you do uh, uh, subscribe on Patreon at the $5 level, you will get access to our Slack group where we uh, discuss a lot of books, including the book club books. So come check that out if you are so inclined. Um, you can find our columns and news at Tashi-Station.net and our book club discussions also we have on Goodreads, although I've been bad and haven't really been doing them lately, but <laughs> you can find us there. Um, we're also on Twitter with the handles Tashi underscore station at Nancy Pants. That's Nancy with an I. And Danny, where can people find you on the internet? I'm also on Twitter at DannyPurtle19, and if you want to hear some slightly less reverent book discussion from me, you can check out at Rogue Padron. Listen, there's nothing but reverence for the X-Wing books. (laughs) Yep, that is true. (laughs) Uh, So thank you all for joining us this month. We'll be back next month to discuss Phasma by Delilah Dawson. Bye. I am excited. Yes, basketball. Pew pew. Pew pew. <laughs> Bye. Bye.